Hello and welcome to this episode of the Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns joined by Aaron Blau today. How are you doing, Aaron? I am doing fantastic. Had a, having a great great week for to be a Phoenix Rising fan. Probably the best week in, you know, just on form in our club's history. I mean, two humongous road wins by three goals each over two teams that will be in the playoffs more likely than not when it's all said and done. We've Absolute. never seen stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the season so far, uh, we haven't had a stretch against teams that we knew were going to be talented teams, top-of-the-table teams. Uh, we haven't really been challenged like this, and boy, did we respond to the challenge or what this week. Yeah, it's it's pretty mind-blowing that we came out and dominated the way we did. Before we dive right into those matches, want to thank our sponsors, the Arizona Sports Complex, with leagues for soccer basketball lacrosse other sports they got indoor and outdoor fields you're probably going to want to stick to indoor this time of year however go up there and let them know that the rising is one podcast sent you and get a discount on annual membership with that being said let's dive right into yesterday's match against okc what are your thoughts on the starting 11 uh for okc we had a uh pretty much the same starting 11 that we had seen for the, the prior match for the Reno match uh, and the match just prior to that as well. Um, and then we, what, except for one change, we had AJ Cochran who actually made his way back in the lineup. Uh, so we have seen Deweji Mala play very, very well. Uh, several, several uh, very good performances, uh, but Cochran gets the, the uh, nod at the starting uh, center back position for uh, the match against OKC. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's amazing. Everyone that we're putting back there is playing strong defensively. No matter who is back there in the back four, I feel confident in their abilities to clear balls out, to get the attack going, just to do their jobs. Um, and really, yesterday was tough because you're under a lot of pressure, and yet we still get the job done. Absolutely, and it, you know it's kind of a, a, a. It's just interesting. It's it's so interesting compared to how nervous we were at the beginning of the season, and we're seeing sort of mea culpas all across the Phoenix Rising Nation, uh, in in terms of like how everybody was freaking out at the, at the start of the season. We the first few games, not perf- the performance just wasn't there. Uh, the back line was changing. The lineup was changing, and we're and everybody's thinking, "Boy, do we need to? Uh, you know, is is this time to start freaking out or not? Do we need to make some wholesale changes?" Some some schmuck on Reddit was calling for Chance's head, uh, and now everybody's coming back and saying, "Hey, look, okay, I get it. I was wrong. Uh, mea culpa. I apologize. Uh, we didn't trust the process. We we get it now, and uh, that that's the way it goes. So it's really great to be able to see." Uh, see the coaching staff be able to build this team in the way that they wanted to and they're actually getting the results that we were hoping for from day one and when we didn't get them on day one we freaked a little bit but now this is our time uh the heart of the season really hitting into to upper table teams and hitting them hard and i think a a key thing that has gone right for phoenix rising as far as gm bobby dooley uh, the front office having trust in Rick Schantz is they gave him the time he needed to install a system because Joseph Lowry made a good point 
Um, or actually, it, it was uh, Nipun Chopra who made this point about the U.S. men's national team after they got smacked by Venezuela, that when you're when you're installing a possession-based system, that takes time, and there are going to be some frustrating results. But you need to have that patience to allow everyone to understand the system. The first month, month and a half, some bad luck, some bad results, but that patience has paid off, and now we're taking teams by storm. I mean, we were down a man for 60 minutes yesterday, and we were basically 50-50 on possession. We had 48.6% possession, most of that with a man down. I mean, that's ridiculous. Last night was such a such a strange occurrence. I mean, both of these matches are. So, uh, you know, we, we can go into it a little bit, uh, or s- start getting into here a bit here. Um, the OKC, first, first off, my first impression as I'm watching the first few minutes of the match, and we got a little, uh, a, a, a very quick view of, of what this match was going to look like. Uh, both teams came, came out swinging. OKC had a good scoring chance within the first 30 seconds, I think, of the match. And you just knew that this this match was going to get set off. But what I really noticed in the first five minutes, maybe first 10 minutes or so, is that the quality of their pitch, being an artificial turf pitch, really had an effect on the team. We saw balls bouncing higher than they would normally on uh, uh, coming off of rebounds. Uh, the English just... It was hard to get the right English on the ball. I think it took us a good 20 minutes to actually figure out how the ball was going to move on this pitch. Luckily, that didn't really matter because uh, we were able to score very, very quickly in the opening the opening half. Uh, first 15 minutes, at, or at the 15-minute mark, we have a ball uh, that was played by Solomon Asante into the top of the six-yard box going toward Adam John, um, a sliding Atiba Harris, OKC uh, defender Atiba Harris, uh, tries to block that ball out and instead knocks the ball in. Uh, really, you know, just kind of what you expect to see from your outside winger pushing the ball into your striker, you, you know, your center striker. Um, to me, though, I think uh, Asante gets robbed. This was called an own goal. All the rules that I know of say that this should be a goal credited to Asante. Tell me that I'm wrong. Um, I think you're wrong because I don't think the ball was going to end up in the back of the net had it just completely rolled. If no one touched it, it probably would have rolled out for a goal kick. What Asante was robbed of is an assist because Adam John was in the perfect spot to tap it home into the right corner of the net. And uh, instead, Atiba Harris gets the job done. So in my book, that's a half an assist for Asante. Because he puts the the defense under pressure with that perfect ball. And just leaves him in a bad spot. But I think it actually was the correct decision to call it an own goal. Because if no one touches that, it's going to be off target. See, I mean... From our camera angles, I mean, it's hard. When when we're on the field at, at, at Casino Arizona Field, we can see things a little bit better. When we're looking at high angles, and this comes into play in another conversation we're going to have, to me that looks like it's on frame. Um, it certainly wasn't going to be a goal, but it was on frame. It would have been saved by 
uh, a diving Matt Bersano, and Bersano actually was diving, uh, uh, was in the process of diving when Harris put a foot on it. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, that, that's the tough call. I'm, I'm going to disagree because I think, I think Asante's pass, and it is tough because they changed the angle from a far angle to a close angle, stupidly. I don't know why they would decide, ooh, this is a perfect moment to change it to a close-up f- shot. But I, if no one had touched Asante's ball, it was not on frame. I'm telling you right now. You can agree to disagree, but I'm just telling you right now. It was a perfect pass for John, and Atiba was stuck in a hard spot. He had to get a foot on it. He put it in for us. All right, well, I'm going to continue to call that a goal, but, you know, that, that we, we can disagree. That's all right. I'll still like you. A um, couple minutes later, not really, just uh, three minutes later, uh, another opportunity that's just one of those textbook. I mean, everything about this is textbook. Every single thing about what happened to the lead up of the second goal is it's almost what you see in training. Um, here we see, uh, I think it was Aginaga, uh, who's able to play the ball up to Kalistri. Kalistri, just a solid cross to a trailing Solomon Asante, is able to put a one-timer on it at the top of the right-hand side of the, the six-yard box. Ball, up uh, top shelf, goal. You could see the goal was going to happen, I don't know, 10 minutes prior to it happening. I mean, it, the whole way through, I'm watching this, I'm going, uh, this is this is goal number two for so, uh, for the team, number two to me for Solomon Asante, uh, but absolutely fantastic play. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not sure if that is, yeah, I think that is Aguinaga. I'm not sure if it's him or, that might have actually be been Baccaro. I think that's yeah, Baccaro. Yeah, Baccaro. And then Dia on the left wing with the assist in for Asante. But you're right about this you're, being... You're right. It's not Aginaga. I have to keep reminding myself, Aginaga has blonde hair now. He dyed his hair. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... Thank because he is on oh. the left wing a lot. It, it, it's tough. But um, you're right, though, about this being the second goal even in the buildup because this looks like how so many of our goals form. Quick play from the midfield to the attack. Someone making a good central run which we were missing at times early in the season. And just, uh, I feel like the services that we've put in the last month have been absolutely otherworldly. Like the quality has been so much better on services in the last month than it was early in the season. Um, And guys are finishing too. I mean, this is, you know, a good ball, but Asante still has to do something here. Control a ball that's bouncing up off the turf. I feel like early in the season we would hit the crossbar there or something or just go over. And here he puts it right in the back of the net. 2-0. You know, perfect captain's goal. The form that Asante is in right now is just off the charts. It is in another dimension. This dude could be starting in MLS right now. Easy. And it's ridiculous how lucky we are to have him in in our starting 11. Aaron, you there? Oh, oh, sorry. I forgot to hit my mute. All right, so let's talk about that for a second. I counted up just his June stats, uh, but let's go back. Let's go back to May. He has scored 
in one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive matches. He's got he has seven goals in the past six matches. He also has four assists uh, in that time period as well. Um, this unbelievable! Is, this is this is all since his father passed away. By the way, you're right. That you're exactly correct. And is that counting the Open Cup assist he had? Uh, no, this is just in season. Okay, so throw another assist in there too, because as a sub in the Open Cup, he had a great assist on Adam John's equalizer. Yeah, so just a, just an absolutely crazy stretch right now. Um, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So this guy currently yeah. has ten goals. Eight assists should be nine if Harris didn't get his foot on that ball yesterday. The dude is everywhere. Yeah, he he's practically, or he's averaging nearly two, uh, two goals and assists per match over over the uh, the past six matches. Just fantastic, fantastic play. Um, all right, so let's move to the twenty seventh minute here, or twenty eighth minute. Uh. And this is another matter of a bit of controversy where you're going to tell me that I'm wrong. OKC has a corner, plays the corner in, bounces, you know, kind of in the middle, uh, in the middle, falls the feet of uh, Deshaun Brown. Uh, right. Yeah. Deshaun Brown, number nine. Uh, Brown takes the foot on his left, takes a quick swing at it, and the ball bounces off of the arm of Joey Farrell. Farrell already on one yellow card. The referee Elvis Osamanovic Osamanovic uh, decides that this is another cautionable offense. Uh, offense gives him a second yellow, and now at essentially thirty minutes in, we're playing a man down. It's tough. See, it's... Seeing it live, when I saw it live, I thought it was a shot on frame. So I'm saying I was saying according to the rules, it's a de- that's a denial of an obvious scoring chan- opportunity. That is a cardable offense. There's another set of debate that says that should have been a straight red, not a second yellow, because that actually is correct according to the, the FIFA laws of the game. Uh, if it's if you're handling the ball, uh, in that case that should be a straight red. Instead, the guy gives a gives a yellow. Regardless, Farrell gets sent off. I'm looking at it now, uh, coming back on the replay, and I don't know that that shot was on frame. I don't. I don't think it was on frame, and I think Dom, that's your position too. Yeah. So, again, it always helps to do 0.5 speed on YouTube when you're uh, when you're watching these. Of course, we don't have VAR. His hands in an unnatural position, so that's definitely a PK. No one's contesting that. If they are, sorry, you're wrong. That's a penalty. The question here is. Is this worthy of a card? I think it could go either way. So it's one that, like, obviously we wish it wasn't a card, but I don't think you can be too upset about it. I just think in the first 28 minutes of the match, it does seem kind of harsh to give a guy a second yellow on a situation like that where the ball wasn't on target. But could the ref even see if it was on target or not? I don't know. His hand was in an unnatural position. It is in the box. Like, it's tough. It's tough because you're thinking, all right, now we have 60 more minutes. We're down a man. 
this could change the whole game. And what what you hate to see in a lot of games is when one decision that is questionable has such a massive impact on how the match is going to go. Especially if there's like a lot of debate and it's early in the match. I think most neutrals would rather see like all right, let's still have it 11 v 11 here. It'll make the quality of the game more enjoyable. But that's not what refs are judged on. You know, they have to follow their standards. And it's certainly within his right to give a yellow card there. I don't know if I would have in that situation. But I think if if he's not on a yellow card, it's a yellow card and no one's talking about it. Yeah, and as I'm looking at the referee's position, I don't think that the referee was in the position to be able to tell. Uh, I, I can see easily that... You there? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, what I was what I was saying to myself apparently uh, is that from the referee's standpoint, he's standing at the the top of the 18 yard line on the left hand side of the box. I don't think that he's got a really great angle on whether or not that that's going to be an on frame shot or not. I, I don't think that you can fault him regardless. Um, you know, it's just a matter of uh, this is one of those things that happens and. Uh, I definitely was freaking out just a little bit in, in terms of trying to figure out, okay, well, can we play for 60 minutes with 10 men? Uh, the answer was pretty clear. Um, but at this point, we're, we're down, or um, we're up 2-1, to one, and uh, definitely plenty to be nervous about. And I, I think this is really important to, you know, just to close the book on that discussion, I don't have a huge problem with the call. You know, it's mildly frustrating it could go both ways but he did have his hand in an unnatural spot so it is what it is but in years past we would have been nursing that one goal lead just trying to cling on for the win or for a draw you saw this in a match at okay at orange county in 2017 i think you know last year at home against orange county when we were up one nil and down a man we were just holding on for the one nil that's not what happened in this match. And that's that's a testament to Rick Schantz's system, having the guys believe that they can still take it to another team and that the ball moves faster than any players can and that if you're creating those lanes, you can create chances. And also a testament to the players like being opportunistic too because neither of our goals were clear-cut chances. You have to have belief to put in a free kick from the range that Baccaro did. You have to have belief to put in a a, uh, a shot the way Asante did. So it's... I'm beyond words to outscore Team 2-0 when you're down a man. Yeah, and, and you know, as, as we press forward in this, we play the rest of the half, play very securely, play very well, but we're winning fouls constantly winning fouls if you look at the game log uh it's it's just we're winning fouls and winning opportunities and it's kind of interesting we just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and my comment uh for firebird soccer on on twitter was that you could not tell from the way that the game was being played that we were playing down a man for the for the rest of the first half you you really couldn't we didn't change the tactic too terribly much 
And what you would expect is that we would be bunkering in or we would be sitting back. And that type of play really hurt us in the 2000, uh, 2018 season when we would do that. And the 17. Uh, and, and the 17 season uh, on several occasions. So here we, we kept the attack up. We're pu- we pushed forward. We would win fouls. Um, and by winning those fouls, you're winning free kicks. So in the 54th minute, we have John Baccaro. Well, who t- I just want to backtrack a tiny bit, and then we can go back up there. You know, shout out to Zach Lubin because his scoreless streak finally ends. The only way it ends is on a penalty that he guesses the right side. Moments later, when the score's still, still 2-1, when we're still reeling from just being down a man, Owain Gordon gets past Amadou Dia and is one-on-one with Zach Lubin. And Zach made a humongous save to keep the score 2-1. If OKC scores two goals in four minutes there, now they have the man advantage for the rest of the match. All the momentum, that could have gone very, very differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he came up pretty <laughs> pretty huge on several different occasions. And I forget exactly where. Um, I, I could look it up in my Twitter timeline. Um, but... Amadou Dia played a horrible, horrible ball um, and just left o- the OKC player, uh, I think that was that was uh, um, Omar Gordon, just walk around him, basically, for a point-blank shot. That's, that's and, the one I'm talking about. That's yeah, what okay, I'm talking that's about, like, one. right after they had just scored, before Phoenix started, like, and, and by making that save, Lubin showed the guys, look, I'm going to stand up for you guys. Don't worry about it. You guys can keep attacking. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be this wall. And then after that, that's when you saw Phoenix start to pick it up and create chances before halftime. You're exactly right. That was in the 35th minute. Um, Lubin with just a great stand-up save that probably hurt off of the chest there. Um, Okay. So moving forward to, again, you know, just winning in every possible way. 54th minute, Adam John gets fouled. Uh, two players step up to take the kick, uh, Jose Aguinaga and John Baccaro. Uh, Baccaro's really an excellent, uh, has been an excellent kick taker, just hasn't found the, found the back of the net until he curls the ball around the right-hand side of the, uh, of the wall and, and just sends Bersano right into the right-hand side pole. Unfortunately, he got there after the ball had already made its way back in the net. Uh, Bersano face plants, you know, kind of <laughs> into the goal, uh, into the goal, uh, the, the, the sidebar there. And uh, Baccaro gets his first goal in a Phoenix Rising uniform. So uh, really awesome for John Baccaro. You're talking about Cody Lorendi. Bersano was Tuesday. Oh, we'll Lorendi, yeah, match. yeah. We, sorry, we were talking about Bersano uh, uh, a few minutes ago. So, yes, Cody Lorendi. But what a shot by Baccaro. I mean, that's... That's long range. Um, I didn't know he had it in him. And, of course, that's another huge moment because now you got that extra cushion to work with. That's got to be super deflating for OKC. Uh, yeah, perfect placement. And, and I, ju- I just keep watching this over and over again with Lorendi's face hit the pole. Uh, <laughs> <it's> just, <laughs> um, he's a... He's a you know, Lorendi's kind of like uh, the guy that you love to hate, the supporter. He uh, uh, really respects the Phoenix Rising supporters, the Banditos and the Red Fury, um, and, uh, you know, take, takes it uh, from them pretty well. And 
Um, yeah, he's got a good personality and whatnot, but um, it's good to see us <laughs> good to see us beat him pretty bad here. Um, moving also, on, also pretty good to see Mike Defont pick up a yellow card uh, a few minutes later. Um, I know it's going to be fun when he comes back at the end of the season, but you know it's the little things like that. He picked up a card. He had to get subbed out early, which uh, a couple people on Twitter were pretty happy about. And then, um, you know, some chances both ways, but let's get to that next goal. Yeah, so, uh, you know, continuing to add insult to injury here, uh, and just want to mention, uh, at the 45th minute, Joey Calistri does come off for Duigi Mala. We put uh, Mala along that back line. Uh, just to add a little bit of, of additional defensive fortitude back there uh, with Farrell gone. So now Farrell's playing as, uh, playing alongside uh, um, A.J. Cochran. In the 75th minute, Becaro comes off uh, in favor of Colin Fernandez. Uh, he would definitely get a standing ovation in Phoenix for, for his play. Uh, so good to see Colin Fernandez be able to see the field again. I think that's that's his uh, second match coming off and coming on in substitution in a row, so that's great. Uh, and then in the 79th minute, we have a uh, um, the completion of the not hat trick uh, by Solomon Asante. Um just, you know, I, I, I don't know what led up to this that allowed the ball to get up to to uh, to John so easily. Um, but it was just kind of like a flick over the top uh, of the midfield. The ball finds John, plays it off of his chest. He flicks it over the, the, the um, uh, center it was, back. It was a ball by Dia. Oh, it was Dia, okay. Very, ball very ball. nicely played. And Dia kind of mastered the English of the turf on that ball because it it checked up perfectly for Adam. Yeah, it and it I like I said earlier that a ball bounces higher than I think it it would normally on um, on grass. And John plays it off of it off of his uh, chest, volleys it to himself, uh, volleys it over the center back's head. Asante has to uh, put put some control on it. Actually, has to get his foot up a little bit high. Uh, to get control, and instead of going near post, he goes far post, uh, totally fools the two tracking uh, center backs, totally fools Lorendi, uh, coming the wrong direction, and uh, hey, it's 4-1 to one with 10 men on the field. He he megged Ocott, the uh, left back, for OKC on that goal as well. I mean, what a beautiful goal. I have to say, Adam John's build-up play has gotten better as well, because on the first goal, he had a nice ball to Asante to set up the own goal, ultimately. And then here, you know, chests it, perfect um, amount of weight on that ball for Asante. Here he gets credited with an assist, which is nice to see, um, because I think I think sometimes the season John has had great build-up play hasn't necessarily led with assists for him, but... I've been impressed and pleasantly surprised. It's definitely an upgrade over Cortez's build-up play. And here, Asante just... That's an insane goal. He makes the insane look normal. Yeah, definitely. Cortez was was sort of more of a position poacher striker. Um, and, it, and here we have a guy who really can... Uh, John has a very, very good vision and, and unselfishness that is 
really nice to be able to see. I think the formation also favors that compared to the formation they were playing with Cortez, uh, where his role really wasn't to, to play in a distributive role. Uh, but John using really, really good vision to be able to move the ball. Oh, for sure. Um, after that, it's it's 4-1. I mean, a couple substitutions. You see Wheeler Omiunu make an appearance for Asante. This is pretty typical from Coach Shantz. Guys are sitting on a brace looking for the hat trick, and he's like, nah, get out of here. <laughs> um, but nothing too much to speak of. I mean, OKC pushed for another goal, but they couldn't really get it. And that's it. 4-1. 4-1, rather demoralizing uh, for OKC at Taft Stadium in front of 4,422 fans. Um, in, a, in a muggy day, it was uh, 66% uh, humidity, I think, when I, uh, when I had checked at the, game, at the start of the game. So uh, a very different playing atmosphere than what our Phoenix Rising players are used to uh, playing in. And they stepped up. That's, the, that's all you can say, really. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, again, we can talk a little bit more about the performance of this match and the match before it, but let's let's just turn to that Reno match right now. You know, two matches in a week. We don't want to bore you guys too much with these recaps, but we got to go through it. So let's get to that Reno match because this was another fun one. And here, uh, a pretty similar starting 11. The only difference is that Mala actually got the start at one of the center back spots. Um, so impressive for the guys to, you know, keep their legs on Saturday, but this match comes with only two days of rest after Saturday's 3-0 win over Orange County. Not as much rotation in the starting 11 as we were probably expecting. Why no, you... there was no rotation at all. It was this exact same starting lineup as the, as the Saturday match, and just, that was a... a big surprise to me uh given the fact that we still have ben spencer on the bench and and uh fernandez and and I mean, even cochran um a after mala mala played on saturday for full 90 i was expecting to see cochran uh in favor for for that match we did see him in favor in the okc match of course but um yeah very very interesting that that they decided to take the same legs that had just played a couple days ago and and just keep running them all out. And the, the guy we signed from Nashville, Howell, didn't even make the trip with the team for either of these matches. So he must have just been an emergency depth signing for Saturday a week ago. But um, This one gets off to a quick start. I mean, seventh minute. After Reno had a couple chances even before that that they probably should have scored. Um, one in particular, Sergio Rivas... Uh, was on the end of a nice ball across the box by Daniel Muscovy, or Mus Musovsky, and he just skied it over the bar. I mean, we were let off the hook a couple times early in this match, but uh, but we take advantage of our chance. Asante gets the ball up the right wing, puts it in for Adam John, and Adam John makes no mistake. They gave him too much space. What are your thoughts on this goal? Yeah, and that whole play was set up by uh, set up by Musa, just being in a really great defensive position, was able to intercept a ball um, on on the uh, uh, that that they were trying to play up the line, gets it right back to Asante. Asante finds an open player uh, because you had three Reno guys in the box uh, covering uh, covering the center cross. Instead, decides to lay it off 
uh, higher in the 18. John makes a nice little fakey fakey, uh, as opposed to just blasting it with his right. Makes a nice fakey fakey to 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 move the ball off to over to his left hand foot, uh, left hand side and scores this on his left foot. Uh, so pretty cool to see him be able to use uh, uh, to use that left and and just push everybody off kilter a little bit uh, in order to make space. Couple other thoughts here. This is really like a great example of the whole of the total system working for us. Asante with an effective press to force a turnover. Um, just that just that extra pressure from Asante can freak defenders out a little bit and uh, it, it throws him off guard. Then a nice ball right back to Solomon in space. And then Adam John with a smart move, instead of cutting at that near post, he stops, he checks up. All the defenders are ball watching and they all run into the box. So he has a ton of space. Then he makes that fake like you're talking about. Just a pro's goal all the way around. And it's, I think it's a goal that really shows how effective Rick Schantz's style is. Because we wouldn't have seen this goal in Carter Owens Phoenix Rising. We would, so not have, we would not have seen like that kind of pressure, quick play, several nice passes, boom, goal. And some great flexibility. That is John's first left-footed goal. Um, he, he has um, uh, uh, nine goals on the season, and that's his only left-footed goal. So um, he's not stuck, stuck in a system either, so that's really great to see. No, I mean, this dude's been doing it at the MLS level for a long time. You can go look at his stats. He's He's got like six, seven years of MLS experience. So if he can score it against those guys, he can feast in USL, and that's what's been happening so far. Yeah, absolutely. So what were your impressions on the rest of the first half? You know, really just trying to see... I. I I seem to re recall, um, because, God, it feels like a year and a half ago already, uh, I seem to recall maybe our passing wasn't quite as crisp um, in, in this particular match, maybe not as not as clean as it has been. Uh, but, you know, continuing, continuing the attempts, continuing the shots, uh, we just kept pressing, and what's been I think the difference over the past four or five games really has to do with the frontline press that the forwards have been making on on uh, um, all of these these defensive back lines and defensive midfields. Uh, I think I remember seeing uh, either in last night's game or the game before. I mean Aginaga just running like a chicken with his head cut off, uh, just trying to put pressure where all the pressure is due, and. It's making a world of difference. It, it it really feels like this when when your offensive when your frontline players your your supposed offensive players are playing defense, um, it opens up so much more for this team to be able to deal with. Exactly, and it it's something that we've seen in multiple games now. I mean, a great example is the Monarchs game where two of our goals come off of pressure situations. One is but Caro giving the keeper something to think about. <laughs> and then then later in that game, um, Fleming's, you know, forcing Monarchs into a turnover, and then 
getting into the right spot to set up the the counterattack. So you're, you're seeing a lot of this, and um, it's great. I mean, it seemed like Reno had most of the possession, most of the chances, but I don't think Lubin was forced into any huge saves. And then, weirdly enough, we might have had the second best chance of the half, too, when Baccaro puts in a ball, bounces around in the box, and Dia has a pretty nice chance from within 10 yards, and he just puts it over the bar. Yeah, and, and this is just another one of those little opportunity things. And, and I just love whenever I see um, whenever I see defensive players be able to try to get the, the, their foot on the ball. Um, because we have some guys to have some power. I mean, we've, we've seen Dia take free kicks. We saw Mala take a, uh, take a couple shots at the beginning of the season when he was just, you know, when he was getting a little bit of playing time. Uh, and the, the opportunities in terms of the opportunities and weapons that we have from pretty much all directions has got to just frustrate the hell out of anybody attempting to plan a defense around us. Oh yeah, and let's let's get right into the second half because the play that embodies your point here is our second goal in the 56th minute. I mean, even before that goal, some really nice play from Phoenix Rising, you know, Asante creating a chance with just some terrorizing pressure. Um, Beccaro had an opportunity that got blocked. But then in the 56th minute, unbelievable. Dumboya puts a ball in for Beccaro. Beccaro puts an amazing ball forward for Aguinaga. And then it, every part of this buildup gets better and better. That ball from Beccaro is perfect. That chest down by Aguinaga is insane. How are you able to chest it down like that, making a run, and put it on a tee for Asante to hit? And then for Asante to hit this ball, timing it perfectly, and to keep it low, because those balls are so easy to send into the moon. And he just keeps it low so the keeper has no chance. I mean, every part of this goal is sensational. And if you're a U12 coach, or U14 coach, and you can show how this works, how moving a ball forward in order to move a ball backwards and lay it out like this. I mean, Dom filled in for me, for, for, for all those who are listening, Dom filled in for me at our small goal soccer on Thursday. Of course, I haven't heard any results uh, results from it. We lost 3-4. Uh, we, we were up most of that match. You can talk to Bayjack about it, too. Yeah, oh, he, had a, well. he had a nice goal, very uh, very Cortez esque goal that briefly put us ahead three two. Oh, nice! Um, Shout out Chris Bajak. Nice. Uh, but we spend so much time, kids, young people, or small goal soccer players spend so much time like, oh, if I have the ball, I'm going to move the ball forward, and it's my job to move it forward. No, it's your job to find a player. And Aguinaga could have kept moving that ball, and his only space would have been off to the corner. Instead, he sees uh, Asante with some great vision, plays it well off the chest. Just just everything you said was right on. Um, and again, it's another one of those where, as you see it develop, you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god! And it's just awesome. When there, I don't think that there is a another sport 
where that anticipation and utter release that's felt on a goal is as clear as soccer. And this is a great example of that. And you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, yes, 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 goal! I mean, it's just, this is what makes watching soccer and being part of uh, part of soccer fantastic. Uh, and, uh, yeah, everything textbook about this, absolutely fantastic. Show your kids. It was, it was a very, like... Real Madrid with Ronaldo or, you know, Barcelona with Messi as goal. The ball just played over the middle. Um, you know, if you're talking about, like, Barcelona, you could have even um, just, like, a nicely played ball and then maybe Suarez chests it down and then Messi just hits it. Or Messi chests it down and then Suarez just hits it. Like, the execution there is so high level. You just don't see teams score goals like that in USL. You know, most most goals are like, oh, it's a banger, or ooh, it's a scrappy goal, or you know, maybe a penalty or something like that, set piece. You don't see goals that are that intricately worked very often. But that that goal reminds me more of like a European goal where there are these small windows, and you have to take advantage of those small windows with just great vision, and that's what happens there. The vision, the precision. Yeah, it's 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 very ticky tack kind of kind of play and um, so so pretty to watch. Uh, you know, kind of kind of moving forward here um, in the in the seventy uh, fourth minute, we say see Fernandez come on for for Bicaro. We say see Wheeler uh, um, Wheeler Amunu come on for uh, uh, Aguinaga. Aguinaga had a very very nice match. Um, uh, it, it's nice to see him finding a proper role in that midfield. Um, and we had some really great scoring opportunities in between the first goal and then the, the, the dying minutes, uh, John with a, just a, first of all, I'm not exactly sure why he was so far back kind of on midfield that he had to make, uh, an incredibly long run, but he had a great header opportunity in about the 70th minute. 71st. Yeah. Yeah. 71st. Um, and we just kept, kept laying it on, it was pretty clear at this point that that Reno was just a terribly outmatched team, and they're a good squad. I mean, they they have some really solid players um, in Herzog and Masovsky, uh, who's a, a, a Nevada native. They Mendiola, um, so Mendiola made a great save on that John header. That might be yeah. save of the week material. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Asante had another another in the 76th minute uh, that was that was just a rocket uh, off of the glove, gloves of Bersano. So, you know, really high quality squad. Um, but we're able to cap it off at, at uh, you know essentially uh, um, you know garbage time, kind of a, a little bit of a garbage time goal uh, that gave Kalistri uh, um, uh, his. Uh, second, go- I think that was his second goal in two games, yep. and his second second goal for the team period. Uh, so just really awesome to be able to see. Here is another case where all members of the front line, uh, John Asante and Kalistri, score, and Kalistri just picking up sort of where Fleming's left off. I think uh, as we were talking that Flemings was going to be making his way to, to the national team, we were a little bit of concern about what was going to go on because we hadn't seen Kalis replay that much. Uh, yeah, I would say all those concerns are pretty much allayed at this point. And I'm, I'm really happy for all three people that contributed to this last goal. 
because none of these guys are regular starters. None of these guys, they probably put in a ton of work in the training ground and they don't get rewarded enough on the field on match days. Fernandez comes on as a late sub. He puts a great ball in. Wheeler Omunu puts a great header on. He's also a late sub. Both these guys come in at the 80th minute or later. And then Kalistri to still have the wheels to be right place, right time, and put that ball with force right in the net. Shout out to all those guys. They all deserve some love. That's just cool to see. Yeah, the, uh, there's some... I don't know if it's unselfishness or, or whatever you call it, good timing, just good play. So here, you know, now we have Wheeler Amunu. Uh, that's his first assist of his uh, uh, of his time Career? here. Uh, no, not... Uh, with Phoenix Rising. With yeah, Phoenix Rising. Yeah. yeah, of his time here with Phoenix Rising. Actually, no, I apologize. That's, that is the his first assist of his his division two professional career i don't have his division three stats um but yeah that's it so now he's got his first goal and his first assist um as a professional player so that's fantastic what are your thoughts on this match i was just really really pleased uh overall uh, everything seems to be working um everything <laughs> everything I, I i i really don't even i can be picky i can see little things that maybe shouldn't have been or maybe some things that that should have been that weren't i don't in this stretch i just there's like nothing that we've done wrong we've had a couple defensive lapses on the back end uh you know some some small play uh miscommunications between lubin and his back line uh, but nothing that's actually really hurt us. Um, our midfield, we have such a powerful scoring front line um, in the Calistri and Flemings and Asante and John. But Aguinaga, Baccaro, and Musa have, have just been absolutely fantastic. And and that Musa Lambert pivot, depending on you know which player and which day. There was an article. There's an article on USLChampionship.com. Uh, by the writer Nicholas Murray. It's got a terrible photo of, of Solomon Asante and Adam John. I'm sure that Mike Rincon is very upset at how they cropped it because it's, it's all grainy. But, I mean, our our win probability uh, in for, for the championship just keeps going up and up and up. Uh, read this article on USL Soccer by Murray by Nicholas Murray. It's a really good article that illustrates what's going on with this squad. Um, and coming off of the first half dozen games of the season, then losing Jason Johnson, not really feeling like we had a strong identity uh, with all these new faces and, and the connections just not actually occurring. I couldn't be happier to be sitting at the end of June at this point in the position that we're in. Uh, and just looking at the rest of our schedule, going, who's going to beat us? Like, who has a chance to beat us? I, I don't know. The only other team that I can think of that that, that has played incredibly co- competitive ball is New Mexico. Well, and let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This could actually be a good segue to next weekend's match yeah so next weekend we, we were playing portland timbers too uh 
in years prior, a team that was sort of written off of a, a mid, mid to lower table team, they came on hardcore in the second half of the 2018 season to make the playoffs um, and uh, beat us in our last match of the season last year. Uh, we were able to beat them in the first round of the playoffs, which was, which was fine. Uh, but they find themselves in the second position in the standings. Uh, I don't know a ton about them, so, so tell me what's going on with the Timbers, uh, Timbers 2 team this year. Yeah, they've been they've been solid. Um, they're a team that doesn't have a lockdown defense, but they have a lot of goal scoring options. I don't think they've been shut out in one match this season. So that should show you the kind of depth they have, the kind of fight that they have. Every match they're going to give it to you. Every match they're going to be fighting to the death. Um, and they're now in second place in the West. You know, we've talked a ton about New Mexico this season. More recently, we've even been hyping up El Paso, and yet Timbers 2 has one point more than New Mexico on the same matches played, and one point more than El Paso with the same number of matches played. Did I... I messed that up. Timbers 2 has more... They have one more than New Mexico with two matches in hand on New Mexico. They have one more point than El Paso. Same number of matches played. They beat... OC on the road 2-0 yesterday. Two late goals in that match um, to get that big win. And yeah, they're just they're just a team that spreads the wealth. They're capable of scoring. Um, Roy Miller gets the winner last night. Brian Hurtado. Um, Foster Langsdorf is a guy that has a bunch of goals for them. Um, Todd Wharton will get on the sheet occasionally. Um, Kobayashi is a solid player for Timbers too. Sometimes you'll see um, Hugo Arellano get starts. He was on Los Dos prior to this season. Aaron Cervantes has now been picked up by Timbers too. That's interesting. I did not know that. But uh, just looking at the lineup last night. Oh, no, no. That is that is Orange County. Excuse me. Um, Charlie Lyon has been picked up by Timbers too, though. I did not know that. Um, so they're just... They, they play a good style. They try to possess the ball a lot. They win a lot of penalties. Um, so it, it's a team that we can beat if we're on our game. They definitely have defensive weaknesses. And I think if we score one or two goals early, you know, we could, we could win this fairly comfortably. But it'll be a test because our defense has to be on. They have to have their on switch. They have to be ready to go because this team can score goals. One thing that will benefit us, Timbers 2 has to play on Wednesday at home against Reno. Yeah, and it's interesting as I'm looking at uh, some of this, some of this, uh, the results against in their last match against OC, they actually only they actually only brought two, uh, or they brought five substitutes. Uh, typically, a team you have a you have 18 players to choose from. Uh, and for some reason, they're, they're not bringing a full substitute squad. Um, also, what I don't see on here is um, their, leading, their leading score is Dar- uh, Darren Espria. Um, but he's, is he injured? He might have just not made the trip for that one because I'm looking at 
He's got six goals on the season. Yeah, he he started in he started in the match before this against Fresno. I think he just didn't make the trip for this one. Um, he picked up a yellow card his last match. I don't know if yellow card accumulation has to do with it, or maybe he just didn't travel. But you're right, Espria is usually in their lineup, making a uh, difference. It, at least in the 18, because um, he's got some subs. He's he's got um. Eight, eight starts and ten uh, in ten appearances. So uh, yeah, just kind of interesting. He's the their leading goal scorer uh, with it doesn't even seem like a full time starter. Uh, but Jadama with four, Foster Langsdorff with four goals, Todd Warden, Eric Williamson with three. Um, yeah, there is a great uh, dis, uh, dispersion here of goals amongst a lot of players. They they don't just focus on in on one one particular person but that eric williams uh eric williamson is is definitely a player to watch he's got a 1.01 goals plus assist average per match um in 10 appearances isn't uh ten, he's, so he's he's appeared in 10 out of their 15 matches they seem to have a lot of rotation in in, in that regard with todd wharton uh with as the only player who's appeared in all 15 matches um ojidambo uh Sierkowski, Hurtado, um, with 14 and 13 uh, appearances. So a lot of potential rotation. We'll, we'll have to see what they bring. It's got to be interesting uh, for the Phoenix Rising staff to try to game plan against. And I'm looking at the stats too. He's He has 85 caps with the Portland Tinders, Timbers Senior. <laughs> Tinders, LOL. Um, <laughs> he's, he's made 85 appearances with the senior squad. And so maybe they're calling him up. It looks like he actually pl has played four games for the senior squad this season with two starts. So it could be like he's getting some time up at the top level and then coming back down. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's what I'm seeing. Yep. In any case, um, they're going to be a tough opponent. But I think what's what's been impressive with them too is that this year... Their away form has been solid. I felt like last year, yes, they had a good season. They finished sixth. They were in the top five for stretches. But it was largely based on home form. And away from home, it was tougher for Timbers, too. They've only lost two matches this year. They've scored 32 goals, which is, it looks like, the third most in the Western Conference. Um, and actually, that might even be the third most in the league. Looks like it. Um... So they, they'll they play hard, home or away. But I think we can take this match. This will be our last match before a two-week layoff. So I think the guys will appreciate being home, having a full week off. I'll say something like 3-1. Three, 3-1 three sounds right. Uh, maybe maybe we're going to have a little more drama. Maybe 3-2. Um, I'll call it a 3-2, yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, they score goals. But they, they give up 22 as well, which pretty pedestrian number. So we can score on them. Well, with that, I think that previews, that ends our preview. Uh, we can talk about league and team news briefly and then get into conference scores and standings and kind of wrap this thing up. So not too much big team news to speak of. I mean, Solomon Asante starting to get national recognition for his explosion in form 
Um, he was another honorable mention on the USL Team of the Week last week um, after their 3-0 win. Uh, and then in a ridiculous, you know, outrageous decision, Luton United ends up getting goal of the week um, over Asante's effort against Orange County, which is... I mean, I think there was a tweet from Kevin Gates who said it best, you know, I'm not participating in these clickbait things anymore. It's just a... It has no real impact. Like, they're not actually voting these based on quality at all. Uh, And I I am convinced that people in the loot in front office are voting multiple times a day, and they're making players vote multiple times a day, and they're, like, retweeting it on DC United's accounts and getting those fans to vote because... The goal that beat out Asante was not even a top two goal. And I tweeted this, you know, that Asante's and Cameron Lancaster's that week were both better. And guess who liked it? Cameron Lancaster and Solo Asante both liked that response. So, yeah, it's it's dumb, you know. But that's that's USL voting for you. Um, any Any thoughts on that? I mean, look, it, it's voting, it's popularity contest, it's who's going to get the most, you know, get, who's going to get the most attention, you know, it's just the way it is, so, yeah. I was just, see, like, I think there's an argument on the Lancaster one because it was a late game-winning goal. It was a good goal, you know, like, off the crossbar. So I could see, like, okay, a lot of eyeballs are on a Louis, or a, I think that was Nashville versus Birmingham. So pretty high-profile teams, you know, I could see that. But Luton United, no one cares about Luton United. So that there's something going on. Because it's been three straight weeks where you, Luton has been nominated for Goal of the Week. And even the one before that when we won, Griffin Yao with a very pedestrian goal was leading... Pedestrian is the right word, absolutely. Was leading that amazing goal by John for a day or two until we were finally like, this is an outrage if we lose this. And, you know, I think I think we probably could have gotten Asante to the win, but I think everyone was already worn out from having to do that push against the Luden bots last week. We were just like, whatever. So in other interesting team news, also surrounding uh, Solomon Asante, Didier Drogba uh, posts uh, Solo's goal, uh, the, the, the same goal that we're talking about says the magician Asante Ghana national team forgot about but thank god you're one of us Phoenix Rising FC this tweet by Drogba got picked up on uh, several international uh, in, in se- several international sites um, including you know the, the, the main Ghanaian site that, that tends to have a lot of information uh, Ghana soccer Ghanasoccernet.com who happened to use one of my photos without permission, but okay, that's, you know, whatever. Um, but definitely, uh, definitely Didier stirred the pot a little bit about Ghana's snub uh, from from being on the Black Stars. Kind of interesting to see that this little, our, our little team in Phoenix ends up picking up some somewhat international attention uh, based on Drogba's comment. Yeah, you'll love to see that Drogba's still plugged in with how the guys are doing here. He's got a million places he could be. He's got a million things he could care about. And uh, the fact that he still is watching these matches, 
you know, liking some of the, the tweets from Asante and even spreading the love, you love to see that. Um, and I think some people have questioned, like, well, what's Drogba's role? He clearly still has a role because he's still doing stuff like that. So that's cool. People pay attention to what he has to say. It's it's pretty it's it's amazing. I definitely did not understand uh, when Kyle Kepner said, "Hey, you know, get your camera. Can you go down to the airport?" And this guy Didi or Didier Drogba was coming. I was like, "Did Didi who? <laughs> Didi what?" Uh, and uh, you know, just being able to see what kind of a, an effect the Drogba effect is is pretty awesome. For sure. Um, the other, you know, kind of league news, Orange County just announced the signing of Michael Orozco, former U.S. men's national team player, at their match against Portland last night. Um, this is a dude with 29 caps for the U.S. men's national team. He played in the 2013 Gold Cup. He played in 2014 World Cup qualifiers. He actually scored in one of those World Cup qualifiers against Panama, and most notably scored the winner at the Azteca in the U.S. men's national team's only win at the Azteca. Um, lots, of, lots of experience, um, much more than Key Sweater, who is setting the league on fire in El Paso. And uh, definitely a high-profile signing for Orange County. I guess Orozco is from Anaheim. He's played most of his career in Liga MX for uh, San Luis, Puebla, and most recently Tijuana. Um, he had a season with the Union. I mean, this is a cool, high-profile move for the league, but doesn't necessarily affect us much, huh? No, not really, because uh, we're done with Orange County. Uh, we faced them. We we had our two appearances, uh, and that's it. And that's that's part of the interesting thing about this new, expanded Western Conference and the expanded USL. You know, I, I don't think I I certainly didn't realize because I'm not a huge international soccer guy. But to have 36 teams in, you know, in Division Two, 18 in, in, you know, on each conference, it's a lot of teams, and you play each of them twice, and that's it. So we are done with Orange County. Maybe Orozco will will spur them on to uh, to be able to move up the the, the standings. Um, at 30, what did I say? He was 33 years old, I think. 30. Um, yeah, I think 33 is right. Yeah, 30, at 30, 33 years old, you know, is, is he going to have a huge impact on this squad from a leadership standpoint? When you're coming in in the middle of the season, can you all of a sudden show up and be like, hey, dudes, I've played 288 matches. You should listen to me. I, well, the, I don't he's know. Gonna, he's going to be starting, though. He's going to be a week-in, week-out starter. But we talked early in the season, and this came up actually in the past week, too. When you're talking about team chemistry... It took a while for our chemistry to, to get us to be clicking properly. Here you're signing a dude. It's the middle of the season. Is that going to have a gigantic effect on chemistry? And obviously he should be a leader in the locker room. He's got the experience. He's got international caps. He's got, uh, he played for Tijuana, won a championship there. He knows what he's doing. Uh, the only question is, will people listen to him? And... Um, you know, I hope not because I want to see them fail. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm always really 
interested in the dynamics, the locker room dynamics, when, when a transaction like this occurs. Yeah, it'll... I mean, Orange County needs some sort of kick in the butt because right now they're outside the top 10 in the West. Maybe he brings it. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway is just it's another high-profile signing for the USL, and you like to see that. You like to see a name like that bringing eyeballs to the matches, which is all you can ask for as a fan of the league. Um, and hopefully it doesn't matter for us at all because... Orange County's not really going to catch us on points this season. Uh, the only thing is, would he then kickstart an Orange County comeback and then we have to play them in the playoffs? Maybe, but the way we're playing, I think we can take anyone. So, You, you know, when we're talking about league news, uh, before we started, started here and we were kind of talking about what our agenda was, we forgot one huge piece of league news. Landed, Landon Donovan bringing us bringing a team to san diego uh earlier this week uh landon donovan and uh and and his investor group out in san diego made the announcement that they will have a usl squad in the 619 so i think that that's pretty huge news for the western conference uh it's pretty great for phoenix rising fans as well for sure i mean at the very least it's an awesome road trip it's an awesome away TIFO opportunity. Um, I don't know where the team's going to be playing. I don't know what the support will be like. I imagine they can at least get 5,000 because San Diego has been starving for a USL team. And they're, they're not going to play in the North County. That's going to be that uh, Demba Ba, Eden Hazard, San Diego 1904 squad, wherever they end up. So this team is going to be I, in the heart I, of San I Diego. I think that they're... I think that that squad is still slated to be a Nisa squad, um, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, so uh, it's it's good for the game, and, you know, another thing is, does this potentially help San Diego's MLS bid? You know, they have two, three good su successful seasons in USL, decent attendance. Maybe that makes them more appealing in Don Garber's eyes. I don't know. But I think it's too early to speculate about that kind of stuff right now. I think right now you just have to be glad that the game is growing. And you got to be thinking a lot of these two teams are dropping down to USL League One next year. There's a lot of rumors about teams that are moving down to, uh, uh, to League One. And this is definitely going to be... Um, the real big thing as we head in the second second half of the season and we start hearing which which of these teams are going to be heading down to League One, which has a really good chance to be an outstanding league uh, in its own right. Um, but to be able to have sort of this stretch of San Diego, Las Vegas, Albuquerque, El Paso, um, all of these great places for us to be able to do road trips to and have some you know, fairly legitimate uh, uh, rivalry matches with. It's really good. Nothing I can add to that. You hit the nail on the head. So with that, let's wrap this up because it's been an incredible, incredible week. What are your closing thoughts on Rising being five points clear at the top of the conference two humongous road wins the list goes on and on 
Well, the biggest thing for me is that we're finally starting to see some of the separation in the standings. Uh, we've had this this really long stretch. You know, how many games in the season are we now? We're we are sixteen. We're getting close to halfway through the season here, and uh, with really no discernible uh, up up until the past week, no discernible separation between first and eighth or first and tenth. Uh, and and now we're we're really starting to see this as now all teams have played at least one or, or are almost playing at least one match against the other squads. Um, still. Still constantly going to have my eyes on the, those end-of-season matches that we have on our schedule, especially the, the New Mexico United match. Uh, that's going to come up pretty huge. I think the second round of this OKC, uh, of, of the second leg of the OKC uh, schedule is going to come up really huge. But also, it's it's interesting to see other strange things that are going on here. We have Las Vegas Lights playing very, very well as of recent. Um and we're going to be facing them in September. It's just it, it just all makes for fun. I mean, it really is fun. I mean, this USL season is really all about having a good time, being able to see what's going on. Um, I think after Timbers, we have Rio Grande Valley. No problem, you know, uh, no, not a huge problem there. But that Friday, July 19th match, that home match against uh, Austin Bold, that next dollar beer night, um, that's that's the next biggest challenge that we have because this Austin team's actually playing pretty well, um, and it's going to be in the heat of the summer when our attendance isn't always fantastic. Dom and I had a conversation about attendance uh, as we were watching the U.S. Women's game on Tuesday together, and uh, yeah, we'll have to see how the rest of the summer plays out for us, both attendance-wise and if we keep playing, keep running the same eleven or same 10, 10 players out, um, and and not having as much rotation then uh, the rest of the season is going to be just very interesting for us. That was kind of all over the place. I mean, they're yeah, all good Yeah, points. I was everywhere there. I was everywhere. Uh, I'm going to try to keep things a little bit more narrow, but let's see how it goes. The biggest thing about this week is that if we are playing our A game, there is no team in USL that can beat us. If we are playing our best formation our best players you know we haven't even had our ideal starting 11 these last couple of weeks and we're still taking teams by storm so if we're playing our a game if we're still bought in on chance's system when the playoffs roll around and we don't have crippling bad luck i don't think there's any team in usl that can beat us that's not i'm not guaranteeing anything because sometimes you really do go through stretches of bad luck. You do have crucial injuries. That's part of the game. Bad calls could go against you. But the way we're playing right now, we are the best team in USL, and it's not particularly close. There is no other team in USL that could go on the road against two playoff contenders in four days and put butt whoopings on them like we did. There is not one other team in USL that can do that. There's not one team in USL that can beat three playoff contenders by three goals each in the span of eight days. We've never seen that before. We haven't seen that in all our years supporting this club. We have never seen this team play this well. So let that sink in. Enjoy it. Savor it. 
because it's hard not to look ahead when we're playing this well, but just try to savor these moments because you you don't know if we're ever going to see a three or four or five game stretch like what we've had right now. Maybe never. Seven, well, definitely never because we did just set a, uh, a team record for, for seven wins in a row um, right after we had done six set a record for six wins in a row so yeah if this ball keeps rolling we're just going to keep having more fun and with that i think it's a, a good place to wrap up keep having fun enjoying the uprising and uh as always go rising the rising is one podcast is sponsored by the arizona sports complex home of the north phoenix soccer league Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Risings One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. Hello, this is Dominic with a special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, this is Jake Anderson from ArizonaSports.com, co-host of the Uprising Podcast. And what's the Uprising Podcast about? I, I think people can guess based on the name, but... It's uh, specifically about Phoenix Rising FC. Kellen Olsen is my co-host, and we talk everything and everything about the club. And what's it been like covering Phoenix Rising this year? So this year, because I'm with Arizona Sports, the podcast has given... Me, specifically, uh, special access to the team in terms of having guests on our show because we have a partnership and we are able to broadcast the live stream for audio on our website and we're also able to be playing games on the radio 6.20 a.m., which was our last home match and the next two home matches as well. It's been a ton of fun just because covering a good team is always easier to talk about than when a team isn't playing uh, very well you never want to put a team down or talk poorly about them and they're not playing poorly at all so it makes writing about them and talking about them a lot easier absolutely and it makes our life easier too i feel like i'm in such a good mood all the time on our podcast (laughs) exactly yeah but um i mean how did you get what's your background covering soccer and leading up to this position so out of high school i went to asu for journalism and i got an internship with the athletic program. Now they only had club soccer at the time, so my focus was more on football, basketball, baseball. Fast forward a few years, I had done some internships with the Arizona Cardinals, but all along soccer has been my number one sport. Um, For those who don't know much about me, my family is from Italy, I'm a second generation American, it's what I grew up with. Um, I'm a a big Roma fan, Uh, made that known on social media, and A friend of mine actually said that he needed help 
with uh, his soccer lingo, his soccer terminology, and was going to have me come to a rising game with him and help him out because he was trying to do what we do. Turns out he never showed up, and he kind of just tricked me into covering the team, and this was uh, back from my former publication, and that was last year. So I was on last year's playoff run. Um, I actually traveled to uh, Irvine for the Western Conference Final and to Louisville for the final. Um, everybody knows how those games turned out. One better than the other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I got hired on at Arizona Sports late last year. Uh, we signed the partnership early this year, and obviously knowing what we were expecting coming into this season, it was something I was looking forward to very much and something I'm very grateful for, and I absolutely love my job. That's awesome. Going into this season, you were pretty familiar with Phoenix Rising. Did you foresee us playing this well? I definitely saw the team playing at a high level, competing for the number one spot in the West. That was a big talking point at the end of last year because they had the number one spot and a few bad results to teams that they necessarily shouldn't have lost to. The Las Vegas 5-2 loss, what I was actually at, uh, was one of them that I think too specifically. Um, not that it ended up really mattering in the end from the Western Conference side, but in hosting terms of, the USL Cup. Exactly. You understand what I'm saying. Exactly. The Timbers 2 match as well. Had we won that match, we would have finished on higher points Exactly. Louisville. I, I remember it was right after the match. It's, all right, rematch. Like, they're, they're playing here in the playoffs next round. So the form that they're currently in, I don't think anyone could foresee that. But I remember in the beginning of the season, everyone's you know saying, oh, four draws, what's this team, blah, blah, blah. I think everyone who had been following the team for some time knew that the cl this club was going to be winning games eventually. And we always joked it was batting your head into a wall until you finally broke through and scored those goals because there was shot after shot, keeper save after save. and Crossbars. We could go on and on about it. And uh, eventually they did make that breakthrough, and you've seen it definitely in the last seven. I mean, see, I was one of those people that was saying, you know, Patience is a virtue. Let's relax. I was definitely on the uh, Mark Murray and Joseph Lowry school. But then after that OC loss, at that point, that's when I was just really frustrated. What do you think has changed with the team since that loss? So, obviously, since the loss, they haven't lost. Right. Except for the Open Cup. But that's not league play. We won't talk about that. And really, that's a draw and it went to penalties. Technically, yes. Technically, they, uh, they did not lose. But... To go back to your question, I don't know if it's the rivalry. Uh, I don't know if it's Sean's finally getting the spark. I don't know if it was the ball finally going into the net at, at some point. If you notice the last few games, they keep scoring in the opening minutes of each half. And it's almost like, A, I think that the crest on the front of recent is already giving them a goal advantage. And the fact that they're actually coming out of the gates with an actual goal advantage and sometimes two, you already have them on the front foot and teams are having to play from behind and it kind of feeds right into Sean's strategy of high pressure. They're going to not necessarily have as many chances what we've seen lately or as before this season. They were just shooting like crazy, but they're converting and not allowing that very many goals and you can't play any better than that. It's almost impossible to name a team MVP at this point, but I'm going to put you on the spot and try. Who would be your team MVP this this at this point in the season? Solomon Asante. Why? And there and I have no 
no ifs, ands, or outs about it. He leads the league in assists, and he leads the team in goals. Uh, I know it's like, oh, well, those are just stats. Well, he's scoring, and he's also providing more than anybody on the team. He's shortly followed in goals by Adam John mm-hmm. and, and Junior. And obviously, Junior's losing uh, game time or ability to pad his stats, let's say. But Solo has played two less games than the games. He's played 14 up 16 because of the passing of his father. And his chances created lead the team. He, per Opta, is the only player rated over eight in USL. And I can go on statistically about that from the eye test, which is something I talk about a lot. Soccer is more eye test than a statistical game. Everything goes through him practically. You see it. They're diagonal balls that came from Junior. You see Baccaro hitting him up with one-twos. He's cutting balls back for, for John, who's either flicking onto Calistri or finishing himself. and then, Or even forcing an own goal with a great pass. Yeah, and it was a, it was like a, a scuff shot cross. I think that might have been a pass for Adam John. I think it was a pass for John. Because there wasn't that much pace on it. Um, but, hey, that's what happens. You put balls across the face of the goal, and that's why they're so dangerous, because defenders have a hard time clearing them without putting them in their own net. Yeah. Do you think that Solomon Asante is a legitimate MVP candidate for the league? He has to be. He is, A, the captain of the best attacking team in the league. That cannot be argued, in my opinion. No, 42 goals. Yeah, you got 41 goals on the year in USL, plus 26 goal differential. And via Sam Dor, uh, only 28 teams... Excuse me, 28 teams have only scored 26 goals or fewer. So that's that's the most incredible stat I think I've heard after last night's match. But I don't really know who else you could put because no one else is doing the scoring and the creating. It, it, usually it's one or the other, but he's doing both at the top of the league. He has 10 goals now. Yep. And he would have had 11 if they didn't take the one from last night away for an own goal, but... Still, he's one off the league lead for goals. I mean, if you were to say in any sport, if a guy was leading in assists and goals or or the two highest categories for attacking stats, it's got to be the MVP, right? I'm with you right there. I mean, I think that he's a little under the radar. Maybe last year he was a little under the radar because there was a a lot of love to share. Chris Cortez had so many goals on the season. This year he's really the focal point without Drogba in the picture, without Cortez in the picture. Um... I would give you a hot take, though, and say John Beccaro might be the most important player in no, the attack. It, uh, I was, and I was even writing, writing about him. It's, I feel like I, I, I can't give enough love to some of the guys. Um, Beccaro, it's good to see him get a, a statistic, a goal, something, something that someone may not have watched the match, but they see the name and they go, oh, okay, this Beccaro guy is exactly. good. When if you watch the game, you go, oh, this Beccaro guy is good. You know, in the beginning of the season when he was having his troubles uh, getting uh, back from Spain, the team wasn't clicking on all cylinders like it is now. And he just, his delivery is on another level. You know, set pieces, crosses, even just an open play, putting balls on a dime for people. You know, you look at the goal from Tuesday. He sets up Aguinaga with that perfect pass, and then Aguinaga chests it down for Solo. I think he's the most important player. Aguinaga is another one, too, that I wish people... We want to give him as much love as we can, but we can't tell 
people who don't watch what he does without saying watch what he does you know he doesn't have those goals with the assists but he sets up like you said solo with a chest from a Bacaro pass but to go back to your question at midfield man it's it's the whole midfield collectively honestly and yeah even with Bacaro moving up slightly up the pitch once Lambert left for the gold cup and Musa came in to be that number six pivot Bacaro moved slightly more up the pitch and go- more goals are coming from it. Um, you're absolutely right in terms of his importance. I think, honestly, it's just it's a team. The whole team is clicking. Um, and a really interesting I want, thing I want to see is what's going to happen when Junior and Kayvon Lambert come back in terms of implementing him back into a team that I don't want to say is fine without them because you're always going to want Kayvon Lambert and Junior Flemings. But For sure you got guys who are in great form and it's like who do you take out especially Musa I mean this guy has to sit on the bench most of the season when he comes in I mean he's an international player himself and he shows that quality week in and week out absolutely absolutely it's it's great for depth absolutely great for depth because of injuries we already saw Colin Fernandez is back so that's great to see um you know JJ's done for a little bit um Alessandro Rigi when he comes back that'll be like a summer transfer Basically, this team is so deep with so much talent. Yeah, that's it's not a not a problem. It's a it's the best problem you could have, I would say. Well, kind of going off of this, this is going to sound like a long question, but bear with me. You see the success of New Mexico and St. Louis in the Open Cup. We have just as much, if not more, depth in those squads. The Open Cup hasn't worked out for us, but with the form we've been in the last six weeks since the guys have fully embraced Shantz's system, I think they could compete for a playoff spot in MLS. I think they could compete for one Ooh. of those wild cards. Ooh, okay. Am I out of base for that? So, if we take this question... I'm not saying LAFC, they're competing no, for no, the top no, no, of the no, way. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about, like, six, seven wild card spot. Yeah. The, I. So, the only part about that is they would have to be playing at this level pretty much the entirety of the MLS season, which I, I don't think, A, you can't stay at this level in USL or any league period. You can't be thrashing teams by three or more every game. You hear that, Rick? <laughs> um, it's, but you, you really want to, though, obviously, and you won't stop until someone stops you. But, you know, it's, a, it's one level up. And it's not that they don't have the ability, it's just, it would just have to be the continuous form at that high of a level, and honestly, the last couple spots, a couple wildcard spots, especially with some of some of the teams yeah. MLS has this year, it could happen. I mean, it would be, it'd be like a Leicester City story, a little bit. Yeah. It, it, it could happen. It's just the difficulty of it would be having to play the best I've seen this club ever play. Consistently. Consistently. Those, that beginning of the season stuff, that would kill them. If that were to happen more than just for four or five weeks, if it happened for two months, then your FC Cincinnati. Spots. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a difficult sport. It, it's, a, it's the only sport you can, you can tie. And it's the only sport that can end nil-nil because another team 
another team just defended instead of tried to beat you. They just didn't want to lose. And no other sport can do that. Another team's offense can always beat you in other sports. Yeah, I mean, even hockey, like, if you're playing defensively, you're going to get thrashed eventually. Yeah, it's, it's, I always say it's math. It's math. It's probability. Eventually, shots are going to go in. Uh, a cross is going to hit someone's head and go in. And you're going to score on yourself if you don't try to attack him. High pressure for shots. Even the Reno goal. The first goal of the game was all because of a turnover. If you if you were to watch replay, turnover, Sola gets the ball, cuts it back, Adam John puts it in the net, seven minutes in, it's 1-0. That's another thing that I think has blown me away this season is the forwards are pressing so much more effectively than I've seen in past years. And that press is starting to cause turnovers, leading to quick counterattacks. Everything, like, everything's flowing better, but I think especially the pressure is just working. Other teams are scared. Like, have you noticed that same thing? So I didn't know this until I heard it on the broadcast during the Reno match that Adam John has in his contract that he gets an extra little bonus for every clean sheet. So he has a defensive incentive in his contract, which for a forward, especially your number nine, I think that's awesome. And Solo has always been one that runs like runs until someone takes him off the pitch. Um, and then on the left side, you know, JJ always ran. And you know, Junior, we see him run. The high pressure, as you said, has been on point this year. And this last match, I was actually surprised to see that 10 of the starting 11 was the same from the previous two games because three games in eight days... Is a lot. It's a lot, and you want to... This is his starting 11. We've seen it. Um, my only thinking to that, maybe, is you have the bye coming up after this Portland game, and then you will get Junior and Kayvon back, so maybe you can... Maybe. You will have guys off for a couple weeks in terms of game game minutes. So the fact that these guys are giving everything they have for Rick, that just speaks to his, his coaching ability, his managerial style. Because when a team is evidently putting themselves on the line for you, you're doing something right. You have the respect of your guys, and they're all in for one goal, and that's to, to bring the cup home that they couldn't in Louisville. What are your thoughts on Coach Chance? Um, through your interactions with him and just with the team on the pitch because it seems like when things are going well everyone gives credit to the players when things are going bad everyone points the finger at him that's all sports though isn't it but I feel like especially the good teams and we're one of those teams well if you see what Rick says on social media after wins it's the same thing he'll say all to the players you know all for one all together and then I've also seen him say, this game was my fault. You know, yada, yada, yada. It's, it's a team. It, it starts from the top and it goes all the way to the last guy on the bench. You are all in on a system because if you're not, you're not going to be playing well. If guys are wanting to do their own thing, they're all together. My interactions with him, he's a very serious guy. And you have to be to be at this top of a level. Um, I don't know if you watched the all-in with Man City you saw Pep Guardiola was just a grinder. And as soon as the match was over, he's watching a film. And you look at Tom Brady, the greatest at what they do, that's their life. That's what they do. That's their work day in, day out. And just because they may, may not necessarily be, you know, a, like a Jurgen Klopp media savvy uh, kind of guy. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, a bad coach or anything. Rick Schantz is a very good coach. His team is playing 
better than any other team in the league right now. And it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing right now. Does he deserve Coach of the Year consideration? The season ended today, probably. Um, With one game to go until the official halfway mark, um, he's probably the first half Coach of the Year. Um, But the Coach of the Year... Awards. Kind of a popularity contest. That and also they they do a lot of like who went from worst to first kind of thing and and rightfully so. I mean that's a a good thing to give a coach an award for if your team was terrible and now they're really good. But I don't know. I feel like he might not get as much consideration being that they are the defending Western Conference champs and this is kind of expected of them. But the form that they're in right now, oof. Who else? Who else can do that? Who else can say they've won seven in a row, they've outscored their opponents 26-4? to four. I mean, they are literally averaging over a three-goal win in the last seven games. I saw that stat yesterday, That's and that ridiculous. was nuts. Um, oh, he, yeah, he liked that tweet. Sean's liked that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, closing this out in a little bit different fashion, we've seen some MLS news the last couple of weeks out of Las Vegas. Do you think that news impacts Phoenix's MLS bid, or do you think it's just noise? Well, obviously, when you have the 28 and 29 teams picked unofficially, I mean, we all know it's going to be it's going to be uh, St. Louis and Sacramento. So that number 30 spot is what every team that's trying to get an expansion bid is looking at. The potential number 31 and 32 far down the line, which was the original number way back in the day. Um, so obviously any team that's competing with you is going to be an issue. Um, yeah, I mean, you you definitely want to see... I mean, they do have their stadium project. They had the renderings last e- year. E- exactly. They, they have everything. And I, I tell people, they're not going to build a stadium and then be like, hey, can we play? Like, no. Like, if you, you're going to build a stadium once you're told you're going to have an MLS team. It's That'd be financially irresponsible. But... I think because that it wouldn't happen for a few more years anyway, it gives not only the rising time, but it gives the fans time to build around this team, to create this community, and to show that, hey, Phoenix needs an MLS team, Phoenix deserves an MLS team, AMLS, look at us kind of thing. Yeah, you're, you're going to have other teams that are going to want the same thing. Um, and it just comes down to the marketing. It comes down. It's going to come down to the dollars, and the MLS will go where they feel their product is going to be the utilized the best. Las Vegas just had their second sports team professionally come in. Phoenix, we have everything. So, in that argument, it's we've proven that we can do it. We've proven the sustainability. We have what the sixth largest population. Uh, for a city in the country, mathematically and bullet points, I could give you the whole list. It's there. Um, now it just comes down to pen, paper. Give us a few years, and let's see what happens. I guess it's just a little frustrating from the fans' perspective when you hear other cities that were not talked about much back in 2017 when the initial 12 put in their bids. You know, Nashville put in a bid, but it wasn't talked about a lot. They're coming in next season. Las Vegas didn't even put in a in a bid among those 12, and now they're being the hot new city. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix is definitely a team that's being talked about in USL. They won't go away. So 
that's always a positive. And, and I know it has really nothing to do with your success in USL. It has more to do with your numbers. We looked at, I mean, you look at Indy right now. Indy probably won't get a team because there's so many teams in that region. But you're getting 10,000 people a match. You look at Cincinnati, now we're getting 20, 25. Yep. I mean, when that happens, you can't ignore that. I mean, Rising's had, a, what are we at, 11 consecutive sellouts? I mean, yep. double-digit consecutive sellouts, you, you can only sell as many tickets as you have, and that includes standing room. So, like I said, they have a couple years when they announced the Casino Arizona Field renaming. They said that they were going to expand the stadium, I believe, up to 10,000. Any word on when the ex- the expansion will happen? That I do not know. Yeah. I'm also looking forward to a, a separate entrance and exit as well. Um, Everyone is. Now, luckily, I get there early and leave late enough to where it doesn't affect me. Um, but for the sake of everybody else, the one-way, one-way out thing is a little frustrating. But, hey, you still get to see the match, and that's all that matters. If you can walk a little bit, park at Tempe Marketplace. That's my tip. Yeah, I got dress shoes on, so I need to stay <laughs> off that desert and uh, gravel terrain. But I won't repeat it. I don't want people taking all those spots. I like it over there. Um, Last question. You know, there's this perception of anything that's not MLS is minor league. And I think Phoenix Rising is doing a lot to challenge that. What would you say to anyone that will come at you with, all right, well, they're doing great, but they're still a minor league team? I think that's more of an American perception. Because if you talk to anybody that... A is from Europe or is familiar with systems in Europe, the quality sometimes is better. Not necessarily, we're not talking like championship for England. The championship is not going to have teams better than Man City. Okay, I'm not talking about that. But it's very well respected. And I think almost... There are a couple teams in the championship that are better than teams in the Premier League every year. That, too. But you also see that the smaller teams that may not necessarily have the fan base of the Man Cities and the Man U's, but their stadiums are packed, and their fans live and die by their teams. Like, you have Red Fury and the Bandidos here, and you have that in each one of those towns. And to go back to what I said about the community, that's going to be something that the MLS is going to be very in on is how involved is the community how do they embrace this team and again you could technically say it's a minor league system but again I think that's an American perspective because if you talk to anybody who is a fan of a team in England that is perhaps in a championship they're not going to say that it's anything like a minor league system because it's not. It's it's friggin' fight to the death. It, almost, it's almost more about passion in the lower division leagues, I would say, because they scrack, fight, claw, kill each other practically for love of the game. Well, and you can certainly see it. You go on Reddit, the banter is much better in our in our sub than in the MLS one. So, I think the passion argument's a strong one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially when you have clubs, when a club pays for fans to go watch their games, such as Phoenix brought over. They, they had more fans, or at least they were definitely louder than that OC final last year. I was there, and they brought over a ton of fans. Mm-hmm. You, you heard them all yep. game. And when, when a club does that, A, that shows the 
community involvement and B, it, it shows what people were willing to do for a, a club they love. That's awesome. I mean, hopefully MLS is taking notes, but we'll see. We'll call up Commissioner Garber and tell him. Exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. And let me just give you one last chance to shout yourself out on Twitter and your show. Yeah, the hashtag Uprising Podcast can be found on ArizonaSports.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at JWA1994. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Anytime. This is Dominic with your Western Conference scores and standings. In addition to Phoenix Rising's matches this week, there were some great matches around the USL. On Friday, January 21st, Fresno FC defeated San Antonio 3-2 at home. A big win for Fresno. That snapped a three-game winless streak for them. And for San Antonio, it's another frustrating result where things go down to the wire. Some complaints of a missed call, but that's... You know, you got to move past that and move forward if you're San Antonio because they are really falling off the pace and they need to turn things around in a hurry. Jamal Johnson with the brace for Fresno in this win. Uh, All the goals in the second half, you know, three for Fresno, two for San Antonio. San Antonio could not get the equalizer and Fresno gets back into the top five in the West with a 3-2 win. On Saturday, a lot of USL Western Conference action Starting out west in Irvine, where Timbers 2 gets a big 2-0 win over Orange County. Only four shots on target for each side, although Orange County had more total shots in possession. It's Timbers 2 that steals this one at the end. 87th minute, Roy Miller comes up big, and Brayden Hurtado with a goal in stoppage time to give Portland Timbers a win that sees them leapfrog El Paso and New Mexico into second place. That's because... El Paso lost 1-0 at home to Las Vegas Lights. Tabort Itaka Preston scores the only goal for Las Vegas in this match, and it's enough to get the win. Despite being outpossessed 75% to 25%, and completing 218 passes to El Paso's 645, Las Vegas managed to get their first away win of the season, and it propels them into the top 10 in a playoff position. For El Paso, that ends a nine-match unbeaten streak. New Mexico United and Los Dos tie 1-1. This match, a frustrating result for New Mexico, to be sure. It looks like the U.S. Open Cup is affecting their run in the league. Nick DePoy puts Los Dos ahead. Kevon Freider ties this one in the 40th minute. But not a lot of quality from either side. Just three shots on target for Los Dos and four for New Mexico. New Mexico... Definitely had a mixed lineup, a lot of second stringers in the back. Although you do see Sam Hamilton get a start, Chris Wien get a start, Kevon Freider up top. Um, you know, more Freider and Sandoval did start, but not enough for New Mexico as they drop two points in a 1-1 draw. Sacramento Republic absolutely blew the doors off of Tulsa yesterday, 6-0. Sacramento put two goals in before halftime and four goals afterwards. Braces from Cami Wassa and Stefano Bonomo make this one an absolute romp. Sam Werner added a goal in the 80th minute to conclude the scoring after Mitchell Tainter put one in at the beginning to put Sac Republic ahead. It finished, again, 6-0 to Sac Republic 
and Tulsa's defense might be one of the worst in USL. To round out the Western Conference scoring, a four-corners matchup between Colorado Springs and Real Monarchs finished 2-1 to the visitors. Mike Seth put the hosts ahead in the 55th minute of former Arizona United fame, but Real Monarchs gets the last laugh as Kyle Coffey scores in the 81st and Portillo scores in the 86th to give the Monarchs a little bit of life in their push to make the playoffs. That concludes the Western Conference scores as RGV plays Austin Bold on Sunday evening. You'll have that result by the time this podcast comes out, but we don't have it for you yet. And now that we have all the scores completed, let's go to our Western Conference standings. In first place, Phoenix rising with 32 points. Second place, we have Timbers 2 with 27 points. Tied for third and fourth place are El Paso Locos with 26 and New Mexico with 26. El Paso has one more win than New Mexico. They sit in third. In fifth place, we have Fresno on 25 points. In sixth, we have Sac Republic with 23. Reno in seventh with 23. Las Vegas in eighth with 22 points. OKC in ninth with 22 points, but one fewer win. Rounding out the top 10 is Austin Bold with 20 points, a perfectly balanced 5 wins, 5 draws, 5 losses. Just outside the top 8 is RGV with 19 points, Orange County with 19 points, Los Dos with 19 points, Rail Monarchs with 18 points, Tulsa with 17, San Antonio 16, Colorado Springs 14, and Sounders 2 slash Tacoma Defiance with 10. That RGV Austin will have match tonight will have a big uh, playoff ramifications. But that's it. That's your Western Conference standings. Phoenix rising five points clear of the next squad.